Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode eight of DBR Bites, our new, hopefully shorter version of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am your host for this episode. I am Sam Klein. We are coming to you. Well, we're recording on Wednesday, February 8th. You may have already heard our preview of the Duke UVA basketball game that is coming up on Saturday. But on this episode, we are going to be diving into a recent article from Slam Online. It was an interview that Durham-based rapper Ninth Wonder did with Grant Hill. And I am joined by Donald Wine for this episode. Donald, hello. How are you? Uh, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. This is a, I'm glad you sent this article because this is something that uh, had not yet hit my radar. But I'm glad uh, you put it on my radar because it was, it was a fascinating read. Yeah, definitely. And and let me give you the, just a quick synopsis of this, and then and then I have a couple questions for you about it. So the the basic topic of the conversation, as I said, it was a it was a an interview that it seems like it was transcribed mostly. I'm sure that they cut out some bits, but uh, fairly in depth discussion between Ninth Wonder, who is uh, both a a Durham native and somebody who's a big supporter of the Duke men's basketball team. If you follow Duke men's basketball on social media. You'll he's frequently a professor see there him. now too, as well. He, and yeah. he's a he's a, oh, I didn't realize that he's also a professor mm-hmm. in the school, and and he so he's frequently sort of on campus, I guess, because he's teaching, but also he's uh, he's frequently with the team, uh, making music about the team. Uh, seems like he knows all the all the guys in the program. So he he's a he's a big supporter of of Duke and and the Duke basketball brand. And of course, Grant Hill is somebody I don't think any Duke fans need any introduction for, but it's class of 1994, one of Duke's, you know, two or three best players ever, uh, depending on on the way you look at that. And uh, the conversation was really about uh, the sort of the history of race, not not as much at Duke as it is about at Duke men's basketball and the way that that race has interact as has had an impact on the perception of the Duke team. And the way that that has changed from the 90s and and the late 80s when Grant Hill was being recruited and then and then was on the team to today. And I think the the biggest sort of highlight for me that the interesting thing that I always I I am aware of, but um, is hard to internalize as someone like I'm, I'm 33 years old. Grant Hill was talking about how the discussion about duke in the in the late 80s and the early 90s when when duke men's basketball was really 
you know, becoming a, a prominent national brand. Not that Duke hadn't made Final Fours before, but now it was like Duke is in the Final Four almost every year starting in 1986. Most of the best players for Duke were white guys. Going back to guys like Danny Ferry, uh, and then on the teams that that Grant played on, Christian Leitner and Bobby Hurley were more famous than than Grant Hill was when he stepped onto campus. And then after Grant Hill, there's a, another sort of series of of prominent white guys that were that were great players for Duke. Steve Wojciechowski, I don't think he name drops him, but but Mike Dunleavy, and then all the way up to JJ Redick. That is the Duke that I grew up with. Donald, it's not exactly the Duke that you grew up with. It, I guess you remember the guys from the early 90s in a way that I don't. But but Grant's point was that things have really changed in the last 10 years and that the um, that the guys that are sort of most famous coming from Duke, you know, in the in the end of the Coach K era, minus, I guess, like Grayson Allen are all black guys. It's, you know, he Grant Hill was saying that, like, guys coming to college today kind of remember like Kyrie Irving being in school. And that's about as far back as their memory goes. So give me some of your like highlighted takeaways uh, from this conversation and and maybe some of the stuff that, that stuck out to you about what Grant was describing. Yeah. So I, I think there's two things, right? Like when he talks about the Duke that quote we grew up with, right. When he was being recruited and, and I think this is a, a, a interesting take on it where you kind of said, Hey, there's been these guys that have been, you know, the prominent stars on the team. And if you think about it, you know, one of the things that a lot of Duke haters love to say about Duke is that it was led by a bunch of white guys, but they would always single out one or maybe two, right? Like a whole, you know, a whole national championship team in 1991 and 92. And people were like, well, it was a bunch of dudes led by, you know, Danny Ferry or Bobby Hurley. You know, the 2016 had Sheldon Williams, whose name and number is in the rafters at Duke University, but everyone talks about J.J. Redick. They don't really talk about Sheldon Williams the way they talk about J.J. Redick. They don't talk about, you know, even Shane Battier, J. Williams, you know, but they talk about Mike Dunleavy, right? Like, those are little things that they would, you know, like kind of key in on. And I think when you think about that 90s team, the, the you know with Grant Hill when he came in there was an era of basketball where the cultural teams and the cultural phenomenons in the black community sometimes were teams that you know Duke ended up beating right UNLV the Fab Five you know those type of teams were you know those matchups were considered good versus evil and let me tell you Duke was not the good team in that discussion uh back then but you had these cultural phenomena right before my time you had the harlem globe trotters and texas western like teams that you know black people could get behind and kind of you know everyone no matter who they were um latched on them then you had the showtime lakers you had the bad boys uh you know again you know jordan bulls the georgetown hoyas the kobe and shack lakers like those are type of teams where you know they transcended the game in so many ways but they also like their style their swagger kind of endear themselves to the black community. And and you're right. I think it has been very recently that Duke has kind of flipped its, you know, persona in a way to being that team that, you know, the black community can get behind. Honestly, you, you he points out Kyrie Irving. And that's probably the start of it. Cause you're right. Like these kids who were in college, probably it, it kind of makes us old. They barely remember Kyrie going to Duke. They probably remember the 2015 team and, and just that the whole swagger that they all had with Jalo Okafer and, and Tyus Jones and Justice Winslow. Then they probably remember, I mean, what really took it off where it was just, um, you know, everyone was talking about it. 
2019, 2018, when Duke beat Kentucky by 38 points and Zion and RJ and Cam were just coming with this, this, this swagger that no one really thought could be associated with people who have D-U-K-E on their on the front of their jersey. So I think that's kind of where it, it kind of took off. Um, and now you, yeah, it's it's the it thing to do. You know, we go into the games, you see so many celebrities who are trying to be in Cameron just like we were. And and I think that wouldn't have been the case back when Grant Hill was in school. And you mentioned one of the the teams that you mentioned there going back to the 80s was Georgetown, a, a school that, mm-hmm. that Grant Hill had on his short list. He talks about this in the interview as well, that uh, there were five schools that made his short list. Two of them were private schools, Duke and Georgetown. And he was like, you know, the, the, the perceptions of the basketball teams were were different in the 80s. Right. As you said, Duke was a lot whiter. Georgetown uh, was was a predominantly black team led by a prominent black coach, John Thompson, who wasn't just a who wasn't just a good coach, but he was like a, a big member of the community there in D.C. Mm-hmm. And. And so Grant talks about like how, you know, Georgetown was a black team, even even in a, uh, you know, even representing a school that was predominantly white. And he says, you know, when you look at Duke and Georgetown as as institutions, they're not that different. Right. Similar sort of student body makeup, et cetera. But just the way that their basketball programs were run was was kind of different. And, you know, there's a there are some famous stories about about Grant Hill's recruitment to Georgetown that we don't need to get into here, but how uh, there was. You know, Grant like was seriously considering it. He's from he, you know, he grew up in the in the Northern Virginia area, and and he also mentions the other thing that I found fascinating here was that he talked about how many uh, Washington D.C. area guys came from Duke in the '80s into the '90s, and how Coach K really built a, a major pipeline of talent from there that extends all the way into today, right? Like Jeremy Roach is a, is a big time DC high school basketball player. Who's, who's playing at Duke. So the, one of Grant's takeaways was how much folks in DC really love Duke, which is sort of funny for me growing up there at the height of the, you know, of Maryland basketball, when the big rivalry, you know, Georgetown had sort of faded at that point, And the big rivalry was, was Duke versus Maryland. Georgetown, you know, had, I think, a little bit of a resurgence under John Thompson III. They made one final four there, but not like Georgetown was in the 80s and the early 90s. Yeah. And it's funny that, I mean, that pipeline still continues. I think it was a Jared McLean uh, is coming next year from uh, yep. uh, from from you uh, from Virginia, North Virginia. Yeah. Trevor Keels last year, who obviously was uh, Jeremy Roach's teammate, both at Duke and in high school. Um, that pipeline continues. And yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's not necessarily that, you know, people like people actively support Duke up here. And, and I know you know this uh, as well as I do, uh, but is that, Oh yeah, you're going to Duke. Okay. Yeah. That's what's up. It's one of those type of deals. And it's one of those where, uh, you know, coach K I think, you know, coach K, you know, being the coach of uh, team USA and kind of getting that street cred in the NBA where, you know, your favorite, your favorite player's favorite player is saying, yo, coach K is the real deal. I think that helped. Um, and again, I think some of those, you know, those players that people didn't think were quote Duke material. And then and you, there's a lot of, uh, a lot you can kind of read into when someone says, Hey, someone's not Duke material, but when Zion committed here, I mean, RJ and, and Cam Reddish are one thing, but when Zion committed here, everyone was like, Oh man, the mixtape King is going to Duke. And, and then he became 
otherworldly Zion here at Duke. I think that helped a lot as well. It's just those guys that, you know, those guys that people were thinking, again, back in the 90s, they would have gone to a, a Georgetown. They would have gone to a Temple. Um, those type of players ended up being recruited by Coach K in coming to Duke, and people kind of opened their eyes and said, hey, you know, these guys out here, like, I would be rooting for them in any school. Like this is a this is a team that I can get behind, and you never know when these cultural phenomena kind of come about. But you know, Duke being a part of that conversation now is something that I didn't think would ever happen, uh, especially given uh, the even the makeup of the team and just how it was discussed when I was in school, and that doesn't seem so long ago. I also uh, appreciated their discussion of the uh, of the music in the locker room because. It's one, you know, Grand Hill talks about how like there was music that was on campus, like the the music that I, I don't know if Shooters was around, but like the music that I'm sure that you would or have like heard. Alpine, like, you know, the Alpine atrium yeah, exactly. you, or, you or, or, yeah. or blasting out of uh, dorm rooms on West Campus. He said that there was a slightly different set of music that was coming from West Campus than the music that was coming out of the, the locker room in Cameron Indoor. And, you know, he said like you know, Christian Later was a was a big hip hop fan, even even when he was 18 years old. So uh, it it. it I'm I'm reconciling in my mind the the images that I have of Christian Leitner and the Christian Leitner that uh, is a 19 year old listening to Wu Tang. See, this is where they shouldn't have cut the interview, right? They shouldn't have cut this part out because I, I need more. I, I, Grant, I need to know was Christian Leitner, you know, bumping Public Enemy, like NWA, you know, Ghetto Boys. Like, what was how deep are we going? We, like, I know Tribe was the big deal. He talked about Tribe a lot. Tribe is one of my favorite, you know, groups of all time. But like, was was he was he? I mean, he was a little bit before Wu Tang. But like, was he bumping that type of rap? Like, I need to know. We need we need to know how 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 much swagger was left on the cutting room floor about Christian Leitner. What was Christian Leitner wearing off the court? That like, I need to know. I need to know all of it. Yeah, yeah. We need to know. We need to know the style. We need to know the swag. We need to, we need we need more of this. So uh, this is the have... this is the moment when I ask for for audience input. So if you if you were on campus with Christian Leitner and uh, you can describe his swagger to us, uh, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Yes. And and for Ninth Wonder, uh, if you're listening, uh, dbrpodcast at gmail.com, uh, you can email us the the full interview, uh, the, the raw and cut, um, not like the ones that we get over the summer. I need the raw raw uh, so that uh, the unpolished gem of this interview so that we can decipher all of it in its entirety. Donald, anything else from this that you wanted to highlight, or should we just leave the link for the listeners in the in the notes and and let them see for themselves? I think one thing that is important that's not in this article that kind of uh, I could understand they were kind of referring to was uh, the town gown relations, right? The and we always as Duke fans and Duke students, we've talked about that for generations. The relationship between Duke University and Durham, North Carolina, and Durham County, uh, you know, by extension. And I think, you know, when I was in school, it was terrible. You know, the town gown relations weren't there. It's obviously been a lot better, um, but it can't, you know, it can always improve. The, the relationship that Duke has with the city of Durham has grown in so many ways over the years. But I think where it has always been constant is that the Duke basketball team has always been active in the Durham community and specifically the black community in Durham. And I think that is why. You know, when you talk about, you know, the Duke and North Carolina battle, everything like that, a lot of people in Durham still latch on to the Duke basketball team because of that. They're, they, you know, they had the barbershop and I, I don't think it's there anymore. It's probably moved since then. Um, but there was a barbershop that I went to that 
Duke and UNC basketball players would come. And that was kind of the safe space where they could, you know, talk about life and and have the, you know, debates that we have in barbershops all around the country. Um, but they were also in the communities. They were in, you know, the black night spots, like the night the nightclub spots. They were volunteering at these schools. These kids knew who they were. And I think it's important to remember that a lot of that ties into the community. When you see somebody on TV, the LeBron, we, we talk you know, on Wednesday, LeBron just broke the scoring record. What what makes LeBron a, a cultural phenomenon is not just the fact that he has scored more points than anyone else in NBA history. It's the fact that off the community or off the court, he's been active in whatever community he's lived in to the point where even still in Akron, Ohio, he has a school that bears his name and, and that he is you know, promoting, trying to uplift those communities. And I think that's where, you know, Duke basketball and even Duke football now has, has done this, but it, 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 uh, uh, that has grown over the years, but those town guy relations have really been at the heart of what Duke is all about in the basketball team and, and also the football team and even the women's basketball team have been that the main extension, the main cultural, uh, olive branch, uh, to the Durham community, and I think that's important. Grant Hill's probably also understating the impact that he personally has had, uh, absolutely, in, in the Black community in Durham. Uh, as a, as you know, one of the most prominent sort of faces of of Duke University, but also someone who who like who you know who who gets a lot from from giving back. So uh, he didn't talk about it extensively in this piece, but and it's uh, always you know, there. Right. He's always yeah. in Durham. Like it feels like he's the, he, you know, the fact that he's the part owner of the Atlanta Hawks is like an afterthought to what all the stuff that he does in the D.C. community, you know, where he where he grew up here, you know, in Durham um, and ever again, everywhere else, even in Detroit, he still has hands in the community and he played there, you know, over 25 years ago. So, um, yeah, he definitely understated a lot of what he brings to the table uh, with regards to. Um, helping out in the community. So as we mentioned, we'll, we'll link to this article. You may have seen it posted by uh, by Duke men's basketball a few days ago when it came out, but take a look at that uh, interesting read and we hope that you enjoy it. We will be back very soon to talk more actual uh, live Duke basketball. So uh, stick around. This has been episode eight of DBR Bites for Donald Wine. I'm Sam Klein. We'll talk to you again soon. Duke Band, take us home.